Amen. What a joy it is to be in the house of God uh, this midweek service. We thank God uh, for each and every one of you for joining us tonight. Uh, I just want to take this moment to say thank you uh, to Pastor Gregory, the Subang Jaya co uh, congregation, Pastor Ellen, the Kalana Jaya uh, congregation as well. Uh, we thank God uh, for your giving. We thank God for all that you're doing. Uh, and also, I'd like to thank the worship team for leaving, leading us into worship tonight. Uh, these guys have been laboring really hard since earlier, practicing, and uh, we thank God for all that you're doing. If you have your Bibles with you tonight, I'd like to ask if you would turn to the book of Hosea, uh, the book of Hosea chapter 10 uh, verses 12 tonight. It's a very familiar portion of scripture uh, that, uh, that I'm sure many of you have read and actually gone over, uh, but I just wanted to highlight uh, something in tonight's uh, sermon, in tonight's message. Uh, this was a scripture that we, uh, the men in the church, we have uh, what is known as uh, a Bible hour uh, every Monday where we come together, uh, we, we sit down. Uh, so myself, uh, Pastor Gregory, Evangelist Mark, uh, Brother Isaac, we come together, we sit, uh, and we go over, uh, we, we go over the thoughts that we have, and we kind of sermonize together and we kind of pull our thoughts, our, 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 our ideas together. And so this was a product of all of that. Uh, it was all our thoughts coming together. So I just want to uh, sh uh, share with you uh, this quick message and I pray that it ministers to each and every one of you tonight. There was a story of a Latino immigrant man living in the United States with his wife and family. The man worked in construction and could scarcely get work at times. His wife was a stay-at-home mom and was homeschooling their two kids. The husband could barely meet ends meet. Finances were always tight in the household. But the husband would labor as hard as he could, trusting and putting his confidence in God to provide for him. And whatever time he had, he spent with his kids or he worked. He eventually caught a breakthrough and got employed in a fabric manufacturing company. And it, it, it meant that there would be finally a steady paycheck at the end of every month. And it would start easing the financial constraints and burdens that this family had. Now, after a few months had gone by, he was called in to the office of the owner of that company, and the owner politely introduced himself and informed the man that he was shortlisted to be promoted to be a manager in the company, which naturally brought with it an increment in his salary. And so the owner said the job was his, but he would need a favor from him from time to time to falsify certain documents and turn the other way for the owner's own financial benefit. The man went back home that day and pleasingly distraught. Uh, he, was, he, he was confused as what he needed to do. And so after, 
thinking about it and after talking to his wife and after a restless night of sleep, the man went back to work the next day. He looked the owner in the eye and he said, Sir, with all due respect, I have to turn down your offer. The owner looked at him surprised and said, You do realize that you are going to lose your job. The man, the man looked at his feet and quietly muttered to him, saying, Sir, I can't tell a lie. My God teaches me to do right, and if that means that I lose my job, then so be it. A moment went by and the boss didn't say anything, and finally the man looked up and to his surprise, he saw his boss holding out his hand to shake his hand. His boss smiled at him and said, that was the answer I was looking for. I have interviewed over eight people for this job and they all gave me the wrong answer. I finally have a man I can trust to work in my company. The truth about this story highlights a, a, a problem that we are facing in this generation and that we're dealing with right now. And it's is that we, seem to be missing the simplicity of sowing into righteousness. A generation today where we think that telling a white lie or cutting corners is acceptable. It is propagated and influenced by general and social media that blurs the lines uh, that blurs the lines between what is right and what is wrong. We think we can operate in that gray areas of life. And how many know tonight that with God, things are more definitive. With God, it is either black or white or right or wrong. And tonight, I'm not being legalistic with this, with this message. I'm not trying to, to uh, sound uh, super religious or anything like that. But I just want to highlight to you from this portion of scripture that there is a difference between human standards and God's standards of righteousness. And so in this passage, we have the prophet Hosea. And he is in the northern part of Israel. And so some of you may know this, that the book of Hosea, it is a portrayal of and a picture of God's pain. And, and so what happens is, is that Hosea experiences this pain when God instructs him to marry uh, his wife, Gomer. And we know that Gomer was an adulterous woman who didn't have her heart set on Hosea. And this wasn't the only pain that he experienced. He was led by God to minister to the, Israeli, uh, to the Israelites and and. A lot of times what happened was is that they would turn away from what Hosea was saying and turn away from God. And during this time in Israel, there were no wars. There were, the economy was doing well. Everything was fine. And there was wealth. There was prosperity. There was growth. But on the inside, the, Isra the Israelites became corrupted. There was spiritual, spiritual adultery that had taken place, idolatry. And so, and this is what Hosea tries to, 
to highlight and tries to bring forth to the people of Israel. And, and as he is ministering to them, he is telling them that God doesn't like sin. God abhors sin. And God's judgment is certain. God's love stands firm. But the people are not listening to him. So let's take a look at Hosea chapter 10 verses 12 to 9. The Bible says, sow for yourself righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And so what we see here tonight is a very simple principle, the principle of sowing and reaping. The Bible says, to sow into righteousness and to reap into mercy. In the NIV version of that text, it says, sow righteousness for yourself, reap the fruit of unfailing love. In the NLT version, it says, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. And now, so tonight, the act of sowing, it is a deliberate act. It is an act of actually introducing something into the ground. And the ground in this text represents the human heart. Righteousness is that seed and God's mercy, his love is the crop and the, and the unfailing love of that is the fruit. The Bible tells us, break up your fallow ground. The common misconception with this text tonight is, is that we, it refers to just the hardening of the heart. But the Bible is not just talking about the hardening of the heart, uh, but it, it is talking about the hardening of the land. And, and that is because of the inactivity that takes place. Fallow ground is defined as land that is left idle for a season after plowing or harrowing. At one time, the land was fertile. There was growth, there was fruits, there was a turnover, there was a harvest that came from this land. But now that land is barren. The, the, the growth has, uh, has died. And even worse, now the ground that was once nutrition rich is now dead. And so this barrenness, this this, this death of the land leads to the hardening. And we see that to be true even in human beings as well. We see the hardening of the heart taking place in Jeremiah chapter 4 verses 3. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among thorns. This is what happens. This is a consequence of what happens when there is inactivity that takes place. The soil becomes barren and the soil becomes hard. And, you, and what you begin to see is, is that you begin to see things that are not fruitful beginning to grow and come up from that ground. A couple of years ago, I went on a trip to India and uh, we were visiting some relatives. And in this, uh, uh, during this trip, uh, our relatives are farmers and, and things like that. And so they wanted to show us their land. And so when we got to it, there was a part of the land on, on one side that was kind of, it looked very barren, but it had some bushes with some thorns. And I thought being, uh, I, I guess, a, a city boy, 
I thought it was some kind of exotic fruit that was there. Uh, and so I turned to my great uncle and I asked him, I was like, uh, uh, uncle, what is this? And he says, uh, it's a weed. We throw that away. And so this is what you see. Uh, beginning to take place. You see these weeds starting to grow. You see these thorns uh, uh, beginning to creep into the land. And so, and, and, and what begins to happen is, is that we begin to see, or rather we begin to see a, a, a breaking down of that land. And this is one of the main differences when it comes to the standards between humans and between God's standards of righteousness. A human standard of righteousness is defined as the quality of being morally true or justifiable. And that means tonight that that is open to interpretation. Let me give you a few examples tonight. Let's, you look at homosexuality. At one time, that was something that was against the law. It was something that was frowned upon. It was something that was looked down upon. But today, in many countries across many uh, different parts of the world, homosexuality has become something that is legalized. You see men marrying men. You see women marrying women. And, and we forget at times that this was the reason why Sodom and Gomorrah were brought into judgment by God. You see, beloved, tonight, what is acceptable by men may not necessarily be acceptable by God's standards tonight. And so, and that is the same thing uh, with gender. You see this huge gender equality act being pushed forward where, uh, and you see uh, things like euthanasia, drugs, marijuana being legalized. And what we see is a difference, a clear-cut difference between what humans perceive as to be right and what God perceives to be right. And what that entails is very, very simply, spiritual, the spiritual meaning behind righteousness is the quality of being right in the eyes of God. And that includes what, uh, what I've termed is the four C's. It is the character, it is the conscious, uh, conscience of the person, the conduct, and the command. What do I mean by that? When you talk about someone's character, uh, their nature, how they carry themselves, their attitude, their conscience, their conduct, their actions towards one another, how they speak, all of this has to be pleasing towards God. The word righteousness by itself is mentioned nearly 300 times in the Bible. Righteousness is not what men say, but rather conform to God's standards in Isaiah chapter 33 verses 22. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. And so tonight, what is considered to be right? Speaking the truth, being honest with one another, being kind, treating each other fairly, reading the Bible, spending time praying, 
fasting, giving, these are all acts of righteousness. As parents, being a good example to our kids, stewardship, how we are spending our finances, our time. So the question tonight, beloved, as we move, on, move along, is what have we been sowing into during this time? Have we been spending more time with God? Have we been reading the word of God more? Have we been sowing into righteousness or have we been sowing into unrighteousness? You see, there was a specific reason why Hosea chose righteousness and he, and he, he, he highlighted righteousness. One was because Righteousness gains God's attention. Righteousness gives favor with God. And righteousness keeps your heart right and to walk in God's ways. Proverbs chapter 15 verses 9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Proverbs chapter 21 verses 3. To do, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Proverbs 20, uh, chapter 21 verses 21. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness and honor. Righteousness saves us from judgment. Psalm uh, Psalms chapter 9 verses 8. He shall judge the world in righteousness and he shall administer judgment for the peoples in uprightness. You see the misconception tonight is, is that righteousness is a call towards legalism. There's a false notion that that is seen as one being controlling or one being demanding or one being legalistic. There, we recently, I, I think a couple of months ago, we covered a Bible study series in, uh, uh, called Missing the Point. And in this study, we visited the pharisaical approach that the Pharisees had towards Jesus, the, the, the attitude that they carried. And, what, and one of the things that we saw was is that they were too prideful. They were self-reliant in their own way. They twisted whatever uh, God, uh, they twisted the word of God to suit their own personal agenda. You see the corruption of their character. You see the corruption of their conscience. You see the corruptions of their conduct and their command in the way that they said, the things that they said that eventually led to Jesus being arrested and crucified and uh, leading to his death. There is a fine line tonight between legalism and righteousness. The difference is whom does it glorify? Legalism glorifies ourselves. It glorifies the flesh. Righteousness brings glory to Jesus. And this is one of the major uh, areas that we see being assaulted time and time again. And the devil brings this assault to many people. And we see a lot of times people see the attribute 
of righteousness being something that, that leads to what's them doing something, but they miss the point that the attribute of righteousness has to be about uh, God being center. God being, it's, it's a God-centric approach that is being attacked time and time again. And you see that to be also true, even when it comes to, to the idea of sowing and reaping, that very little value is given to the idea of sowing. Because we, are, we come, or rather we are more comfortable with a, uh, with a shortcut instead of taking the long way around and, uh, and, and sowing into righteousness and laboring and sowing into what God uh, has determined to be right. And so tonight, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 25, the Bible says, Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanliness in His eyes. And the, the, the principle of righteousness is one that is very simple. Tonight, it, if we decided, if if every one of us listening tonight decided that I was going to listen to, to what was being preached tonight and I'm going to turn away from my unrighteousness and I was going to live a life full of righteousness, the person that, that would benefit the most would be you, the people that are listening. And that is something that we've failed to to uh, grasp at times that the person that benefits the most from sowing into righteousness is yourself. And the principle is very, very simple. Righteousness benefits me. You see, if you chose to live a life of righteousness, God is not going to be like, hey, you know what? This person is living righteously because of what you said. Absolutely not. God is going to look at who is living righteously. It has absolutely nothing to do with who is preaching or, or your pastor or anything else but you, yourself, and God. We can choose at times to masquerade or hide our pride, our rebellion, our stubbornness by refusing righteousness. And this is where you see uh, Hosea's heart because this is what he had to endure during this time when he ministered and you know, when he preached to the, to the, to the masses, uh, they rejected what he said. They pushed aside what he was telling them. He was just simply telling them that they need to turn from their wicked ways and, and turn back towards God. And that is what was rejected. And that was what came, uh, uh, that was what he had to deal with. The refusal for them to deal with their own heart condition. And so they blame and point their finger at the one demanding righteousness. And you, you know that to be true. And sometimes when we ask, as, as a teacher, I've faced this before, when we ask students to, to, to uh, do things a certain way or to behave a certain way, uh, you have your students that will suddenly turn back to you and be like, teacher, no, you, but you said this. No, no, you said that. It doesn't, it, it, it doesn't matter tonight, beloved, because at the end of the day, it benefits you. 
So let me make a statement tonight. The more you refuse God, the more rebellious you become. It's like an organ donation. You have one party that gives or donates their organ to the recipient. And what the doctor will do when they perform the surgery is that they will check to make sure that the organ is a match. And if everything goes well and the surgery is a success, the body will uh, begin to accept the new organ as its own. But there are some occasions what will happen is, is that the body will begin to reject the organ and eventually the organ will fail entirely. And at that point, there's just literally absolutely nothing that you can do to save either the patient or the organ. And so this is where tonight the rubber meets the road because Matthew 13, seven gives with it a warning. And it says, uh, in, uh, Jesus says in this parable, that some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. And what Jesus is speaking about right here is in the parable of, uh, of the sower is he is speaking about the condition of the heart as well. That there are times when messages can be preached, uh, words can be given and that they can just be, they, they can just fall on deaf ears because what happens is, is that the word of God is received with thorns in our hearts. And what, the, what Jesus is telling, here, telling us here in this passage is, is that the thorns sprang up and choked them. Beloved, so tonight, to, to, to simplify this, it's very simple. If our hearts are not right with God tonight, if, if, if there are thorns in our heart, we can receive anything we want, but not change at all. In the practical, we can be seated where we are tonight and be rejecting and refusing God. We can hear preaching and outrightly reject it. And what was supposed to benefit you, like the word of God, has no longer an effect. Because now the heart is hardened, conviction is gone, the conscience is seared, and like the law of gravity, everything begins to spiral out of control. You see, gravity is a very amazing thing in the sense that what goes up must always come down. And this is the same thing that we are dealing here, that Hosea is trying to tell us in this text, that once once we begin to reject the word of God that will lead us into a tailspin where we just spiral out of control and eventually come crashing down. In 1987, in a small town in Indiana, in the United States, this, this small town was rocked by this story that emerged of a 13-year-old boy all right, that's 13 with a one and a three. This guy was just a teenager. His name was Robert Sanford. And what, he, what happened was is, is that he brutally murdered two women at the age of 13 years old. And he was convicted of double homicide and sentenced to over 100 years in prison. Sanford re revealed in a recent interview in 2018 how life growing, how his life growing up was shaped 
by violence. He shared of the brutality he faced with his mom who had multiple boyfriends and suitors that would come to the house, beat and abuse him, and would oftentimes get drunk or get high off of drugs and alcohol. He was often neglected, left alone to his own vices, and on the night of the murder, his mom was actually away, uh, out of town at that time with one of her boyfriends, and hadn't even known that her son had been arrested weeks later. So Sanford shared how he has now grown up behind bars for most of his life instead of being in the free world. If you can imagine, at the age of 13 years old, going to prison, and now uh, in 2018, I believe some uh, nearly 40 years later uh, uh, or 30 years later, uh, he, is, he has celebrated his 18th birthday in prison. Uh, most of his life, he spent more time behind bars than he actually did uh, outside. And so tonight we can be like, Rob, uh, with, like Robert Sanford and see the signs, but then choose uh, to ignore the, the, the warning signs. So let me get ready to close tonight. So the question is very simply, what can we do? And Hosea 10.12 reveals uh, what we can do in the second part of that scripture. It says, break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he can, comes and rains righteousness on you. So what do we need to break up fallow ground tonight? Number one, we need conviction. In John chapter 16, verses 8, And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. In Jesus' own words, he is explaining the workings of the Holy Spirit. He knows that Jesus, uh, we know that Jesus speaks of being born, of water and spirit. He says the spirit is like living water and that we must worship God in spirit and in truth. But in this text, Jesus is talking to us about the new comforter, the Holy Spirit that is being sent our way. In the Greek for Holy Spirit, it is, uh, the, the Greek for Holy Spirit is paraclete. Para meaning alongside and cletus meaning called, or rather the one who stands by you or the one who is called alongside you. The Holy Spirit is described as being one with Jesus. And beloved, that is what we need tonight uh, uh, to be able to break up the fallow ground. Number two, what we need is the word of God. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 8 through 9, uh, verses 8, But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the power of, of the word of God has the ability to bring about transformation in our very own lives. The Bible says that the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. And finally, number three, we need to seek the Lord tonight. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses, uh, uh, verses 14, the Bible says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face 
and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Breaking the fallow ground tonight requires work. It is a labor-intensive action. It requires plowing. It requires hard work. It requires time. It requires a miracle to take place to break a hardened heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 verses 26. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Beloved, can I say to you tonight that only God, only with God can we uh, uh, break the fallow ground tonight. It is going to require work. It is going to require us to put the hands to the plow and begin to make some changes in our lives tonight. But the challenge is very simply this. If we don't do this tonight, if we don't make the solid changes, the solid decisions tonight, then when will we ever make these changes? Because beloved, our inaction tonight will invite chaos into our lives. Our action is going to make God reign his righteousness upon you. Your righteous, your action tonight will make God reign righteousness not only upon your life, but upon your family, upon the people around you as well. It requires making a tough decision tonight, but I believe that with God by our sides, by the Holy Spirit's conviction that we can do anything. The Bible says nothing is impossible with God. And that, and that statement reigns true. When your life is moistened with God's righteousness, your life will become completely consumed with righteousness. You can never lose with God tonight, beloved. If you check his track record, the score, if you're keeping score, if you look, if you read through the Bible, God has never lost. And we, his, as his children, as his people tonight, will never lose. If you sow, you labor, God will rain his righteousness upon you. I close with this quote. Billy Graham made this statement. He says, God says that only those who hunger after righteousness will receive it. God thrusts his heavenly manner on no one. You must desire it. Above everything else, your yearning for God must supersede all other desires. It must be like a gnawing hunger and a burning thirst. And so as I close tonight, beloved, are we hungry for God in our lives? Are we thirsty for God? Do we have a passion, a desire for God in our lives? Are we craving righteousness?